My name is Bridget Trong. And my name is Tom Yanni. On today's episode, we'll be talking about how we met, where we are in our entrepreneurial journeys, Instagram hiding the likes, and the potential impact it will have on branded partnerships. This truly is the current state of social media branding. We met at Humber in 2009, 2009 in journalism school. So it's been 10 years. Yeah. Holy crap. I know. I didn't even put two and two together. So happy 10 year anniversary. Happy 10 year. That's insane. <laughs> well, we have some pretty candid conversations. Yeah, for sure. We thought, Nothing's why not? really off limits. No. And I don't think it should be. I mean, we're both entrepreneurs. We're both in the media landscape. And we thought, why don't we actually talk about these things and encourage other people to talk about them too? Because life isn't all that pretty. Although we do look at a lot of pretty images on social media because that's our job. Mm-hmm. But underneath that, there's a lot to talk about. Some things that make you squirm, some things that make you a little uncomfortable, but that's the beauty of it. For sure. And I think we're actually both optimists by nature. So even though it yeah. kind of play both sides of the fence a little bit. I agree. So let's do a little intro because okay. I feel like most people listening to us might not even know who we are. Yeah, so I'm the director of business development at the Influence Agency. We specialize in influencer marketing campaigns, branded content development, social media management, and advertising. We work with a very wide variety of different businesses ranging from event type campaigns with, oh, we do events with Ford We Day, with um, Pride Festival, with Rose Picnic. We also work with more product type companies like Baby D Drops or Jameson Vitamins and in the philanthropy space with Plan Canada. Um, done some work with PurePod, lots of different types of campaigns and we've done some work together too mm-hmm. on a variety of different campaigns. I also want to add that you started two years ago. Mm-hmm. Has it been two full years yet? April 7, or excuse me, April 1st, 2017 was when we started, yeah. Well, what would you attribute the success to? I'm sure a lot of things, but to see the rapid growth in an industry that changes so often, and it has so often in the past two years, what do you think is like the recipe for success so far? Ooh, combination of timing, um, ambition. I know that myself and, and Steph, Noah, and Mike were all um, big picture thinkers. So um, yeah, I think we're all really pushing hard. Everybody's yeah. really pushing hard, and we each have our own unique skill set as well. So we kind of complement each other quite well that way. Mm-hmm. Starting a business is tricky because you don't know what you don't know until it's right in front of you. So there's been yeah. like a variety of different hiccups along the way, ranging from making money out of the gate because we didn't start with any, you know, there was no venture capital behind us. We had no funding. It was just literally from scratch. So, But you don't want venture capital because then you forfeit, what, a percentage of your business right yeah, off the bat. Yeah, for sure you would. Yeah. yeah. Well, you got to just be able to withstand those early weathers though because when you're not making any money in month one and two, then you have to be able to still pay your bills. So a lot of people need financial backing we were kind of lucky and fortunate that we could get by in the in the initial phases and that uh it didn't last too long so we were able to weather that but still (laughs) when you've got four people looking to eat and um you're just starting from scratch it gets a little tricky for sure and then from there the challenges are just trying to scale and find good people because you're only as good as your people anyway so um we've been really really fortunate that we have an amazing staff well why don't we hear a bit more about you 
So, I mean, you and I met at Humber in journalism school, mm -hmm. and I always wanted to get into entertainment broadcasting. And you were at the time, too. I actually thought yeah. it was weird that you were going to school because you were working <laughs> in the industry already. I was like, what's the point I of this? Was, Why are you doing it? Well, because I wanted to learn as much as I could at that time and still do. But, um, yeah, I, I went to Laurier, Wilfrid Laurier University, for communications and psychology. And it was like in my second year, I realized I was just in the wrong place. But then I stuck it out and then I went to, actually I took some time off, started interning, volunteering in broadcast, and then that's when I went to Humber. Um, but I wanted tangible experience in the classroom and I understood that Humber offered really great teachers that were part of that space or were a part of the space. Yeah, they were really awesome. They were awesome. And, and we had like a proper newsroom. It felt like you yeah. were... It was like legit working in a newsroom. Totally. Shout out to Humber. Shout out. Um, but so that was, I mean, I started about 12 years ago. So I've been in traditional media for the past 12 years. Um, I think naturally social media just kind of found its way into my life about four or five years ago. And um, ever since then, I have been a TV host. I um, am a host on the big screen with Cineplex. Um, we have our own podcast now, which is so weird to say. I'm so into it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I work in a lot of digital partnerships online. Uh, I've done some through you and your mm -hmm. agency, which is really nice. Um, and I'm a producer as well. So I just came back actually from an 11 hour day. Yeah. Yeah. How I can't talk weekend? about it because I sign a lot of NDAs, but oh. Toronto is such a fun city and Ontario is such a hotspot for a lot of productions, film and TV. Um, and it's just fun. It's such a cool environment to be in because when you're actually on set, you realize how unglamorous everything is. Hurry up and wait. <laughs> that's exactly what Hurry it is. Hurry up and wait. That's like my life motto. Hurry yeah. up and wait. Yeah, that's what you do. You just sit around and wait until, I don't know. And then go. And then go. Yeah. But you know what's great about being on set? Craft. Craft services. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> man. I never really got to indulge in that. When I was at TSN on... Uh, over the Christmas break, there were times where there would be food services or a trade deadline, but that's it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Uh, before we jump into our patty, which is, I guess, the meteor section of this podcast, how do you feel, Tom? You're weeks away from being a father for the first time. Yeah. A mix of nerves and excitement for sure. Yeah. Um, the good thing about becoming a parent is you got nine months to think about it. It's not, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> At least a lot of there's time. plenty of time. And then if you're planning it, then you had even more time as and well. And what are you thinking so. about? Like, if you want to go through with it? or <laughs> <laughs> No. God, no. In the initial phases, before you get pregnant, perhaps. But uh, once it's happening, it's happening. And then it's just like, how do you create a world for this thing? Karen and I, my, uh, my partner Karen, we always joke that, like, before you're actually about to become a parent... It may be, I don't know, you get a different perspective. Now it's just like, how do we make sure that this kid remains alive? Like the whole goal is just keep this thing alive. And that for 18 years or for like the first year? Well, baby steps. I don't know. Right now it's just like, how do we get him home? Once he's born, how do we get him home from the hospital? And now we've got the car seat all set up and we've got uh, the bassinet set up at home. And we've got the different things that we need. we got the pump. we got, we're pretty much set, mm -hmm. but... Yeah, for nine months, it's just like solving riddles and problems of what if this happens, then you need to do this. Are we ready for that? And just kind of getting everything organized and prepared so that you're not 
facing some like crazy curveballs, which will, I'm sure, happen anyways. 100% they yeah. will. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not a parent, so I don't know firsthand, but I hear this often from a lot of new parents that no one's ever ready yeah. to bring home a kid. See, and I'm take lucky care of though, because my sister has four. And oh, so I've right. had, a, yeah, so I've had like major opportunity to kind of get caught up to speed, at least in temporary doses. I was going to say, not yeah. like, all day, every day. But then also, my dad's from a family of 15. So I've got over like 35 first cousins and start getting into second cousins like 50 family plus. Family of 15? Yes. Same parents? Yeah. That's incredible. I don't get it. That's a completely different generation. And they all survived. Yeah, it's wild. Wow. But that gave me a chance to be around. Like I was holding babies when I was a toddler. You know what I mean? Right. Like I was always around babies. My whole life I've been be around little kids. So. We're both, like we said, in social media, so we deal with the ebbs and flows of it often. Um, I definitely want to talk about branding, but the biggest piece of news right now, taking over the headlines, Instagram hiding the likes. Mm -hmm. Is it really that big of a deal? What do you think about it? Well, I don't know how big of a deal it is, but I like it myself for sure, because mm -hmm. I think that people were getting too caught up in that, in that. You know the whole what the engagement the likes and the comments yeah that yeah. people were getting too caught up in and especially their case okay, so adam silver the commissioner of the nba said that uh social media to some extent was having a somewhat detrimental effect with some players because they would just turn to their phones and they're getting locked into what other people are saying about them people are very concerned and worried about what other people have to say about them which is a completely separate topic altogether but i think what eliminating that does is you just focus on the content you just focus on what it is that's in front of you and you're not thinking okay well this one only got 60 likes the last one got 120 or this one got 10,000 but the last one got 15,000 and there's also a lot of people I think that would post content and if it didn't hit the algorithm right so it could be the time of day it could be the day a week whatever the case may be but it doesn't get as much engagement and then they feel bad because oh I normally get whatever the number is again 100, 500, or you're talking about influencers and thousands, but this one didn't quite hit, so then they take it down, and maybe do they repost it later, or maybe they don't do it at all because they feel like that didn't work, but that's yeah. not the point. The point is to try to uh, connect with people, to inspire people, to come up with something that's interesting, to make you think. Um, people that are making a career out of this, um, they're producing depth of content, right? There's like substance to it, but sometimes I think the substance will get overshadowed by the engagement based on an algorithm that only serves your content to like 20 to 25% of people that follow you anyways. And that's not the purpose of this. So it's going to be very curious to see how it plays out, especially in the influencer marketing industry, because now um, the average person in the public can't see what's actually happening mm -hmm. with that. So it's going to be interesting to see how that affects who gets chosen for campaigns too, because it's less about the vanity of how many likes did it get is, um, obviously you find that out on the back end, but it's gonna be more, the, the pendulum will swing towards just the quality of content. What do I, you think though? Because you're somebody that creates content for a living. I don't do that. I, I work think, with others that do. I think that's this is why this is such a really interesting conversation for us because we're on different sides of the equation. Yeah. I totally agree. I think we have completely lost sight of what social media is. It, these are platforms to connect people. When I first got Instagram, I totally saw it as a platform to share my ideas, share my feelings. I was really lost at the time, so I saw it as a visual and verbal diary. This? this was probably five years ago. Okay. Five years, years lost ago. Lost why? 
uh, I had just broken up with uh, James, yeah. my boyfriend of seven years, yeah. and then I got laid off for the first time. And then I was like, what do I do with myself? I was working full time in entertainment. Um, I was in a relationship where I thought I was pretty much married. Everything's over. So I took to social media to connect with people who may be kind of lost as well. But I was really just sharing stories about my life mm-hmm. and how I was feeling, asking questions and connecting with others who might be, you know, asking the same ones. Um, and that's kind of how I grew and that's how things evolved. But today you can't help but look at the numbers. And I know people go online and say, no, they don't matter. I don't look at them. Listen, when you're an influencer in some way and you're working with brands, you look at the numbers. Oh yeah. You do a hundred percent because they count. On our side we do, of course. That's where the, like, that's where the value comes from. Yeah. If and people don't care, then they're not going to get work. Exactly. And at the end of the day, we have to send those stats to the brand so that they can see how well that post performed. Mm-hmm. So they do matter. The numbers do matter. And I'm not going to lie. They drive me crazy. I, I feel like sometimes... In a, it, in a bad way? Yeah. I feel like sometimes I get super anxious because of my post not performing well or right. that pressure of having to appear a certain way after a certain while because you're kind of in a spotlight that you never thought you would be in front of strangers, right? So yeah, that's contributed to my anxiety, but I find ways to kind of level it down. Do you think that now that they're not going to be broadcasting this publicly, but just saying Tom Yoni likes this and others, and maybe it's a million people like it, maybe it's 50 people that like it, but the fact that you're just putting it out there Exactly. Do you like this better? I think this is I think this is a really good move. I don't think that it should just be a test. I think that the work should speak for itself. Brands should partner with people who have the vision and the skill set that they're looking for, not the popularity, if you will. I think there are a lot of creators out there who don't have a massive following and who are just visionaries. Like my friend Colin Dugan. He's 24 years old. I don't know if you know him. He is insanely talented, a one-man show. He travels all the time, brings his camera, and he shoots the most epic videos. Hmm. Yes, he gets a lot of views. They're travel videos, and usually they're kind of like they're they're vice-like. So he went to India in January, and he did a video on yoga and the the wellness culture there, and it's just beautiful to watch. That's creation. That's somebody who should have these opportunities with brands to bring stories to life. So I think if we eliminate the likes and focus on the work, I think that we can actually create better content that's out there. Now on the agency side, what about the authenticity of it? Because then there's some fear that maybe because it's not as visual that people will um, mislead when it comes to representing the engagement that they do get. So maybe... Maybe they go into Photoshop and make it seem like double the amount of people actually engage or like their content or reach more people. Oh, I never thought of that. Yeah, we think about that. Because if you don't have first-party access to the account, right. if you have access to the account, then you just see it right in the business back end. It's no problem at all. Mm-hmm. But if you are getting screenshots from them, then there's some question about are you going to be able to see um, legit figures or would people kind of try to well, pump it, it up a little bit? wouldn't people be able to do that now? I suppose. Yeah, but it it would match up now because there is still like, or previously when you would see the amount of likes, you would still, it would match up with 
with that. But yeah, I suppose that there still could be an opportunity to do that. Do you think this will negatively or positively impact um, branded partnerships with influencers moving forward? Mm, I don't, mm, that's a good question. My gut tells me that I don't think it will have an, I think it will be benign. I don't think it will be better or worse. Mm -hmm. um, I think that when brands partner with content creators, it's not, it's not just what you see on the surface that, um, that is the value when it comes to that. It's the fact that they can reuse the content across their social feeds. They can reuse it for social advertising. They can talk about that partnership through their email marketing efforts. They can use that content through display marketing. If they're blogging for them, they can use it um, to acquire backlinks to support their SEO efforts. So if you're a brand right now, there are so many different places and areas and ways that you can market your business online, right? Mm -hmm. There's like, think about, imagine like 25, 30 years ago, pre like major internet revolution, how simple it was for marketers. It was print and broadcast. Even when we went to school, second year, you had to choose print or broadcast. And so it's like, am I going to make a buy in that magazine or newspaper or that billboard? Or am I going to go on that radio station or TV station? Those That's are the only it. options. Yeah. Right. Now all of those still exist. And then you have, yeah content across video, written, photography, all the different social media outlets, SEO, paid search, display. This could go on and on. There's so many options. So brands are under a squeeze to try to figure out, number one, where do I focus my dollars, attention, resources? Who do I work with? But these content creators, people like yourself, the real value is that you tick a lot of boxes. So you can produce content that you can reuse across your website, your landing pages. Again, everything that I just mentioned, there's so many different areas where these content creators provide additional value, especially for brands that struggle to come up with interesting content themselves. It's not, most people are not creatives. Yeah. From, you know, a marketing director sometimes will be, but more often than not is more of like a, a practitioner, an executioner versus a major creative type. Do you so, find that you still have to make those arguments in pitch meetings? Much less so now. Like 2017, I think we're always a couple years behind what's going on in the U.S. And oh my gosh, we totally are. Well, if your job is on the line and it is to deliver on a very specific set of objectives, then taking a risk that might hurt you or that might not be as predictable is a tough thing for a lot of people to do. I agree. Takes, I, I get that. To, no, I get that. Yeah. But then sometimes I think, um, well, a lot of these brands want brand awareness, right? Mm-hmm. And... What is the difference between spending, I don't know, I don't know how much a billboard is, but let's just say 25 grand, 25 grand for a billboard in Toronto mm -hmm. versus $10,000 working with five different creators for the same campaign. I understand that. From a brand's perspective, there's so many different variables that come into play. Yeah. And there's so many different interests. And the other thing too is, especially for, it's mostly bigger organizations that are doing, that are working with creators that are doing influencer marketing. And so usually there are two, three, four, five, ten people on that brand team that are involved. Mm -hmm. And you might get four people that think it's an amazing thing to do, but six that are not so sure about it. Or maybe there's nine that love it, but the person at the top that writes the checks says, ah, that's not really where we want to put our dollars, right? So that's the tricky thing is kind of navigating through the interests of a bigger team, which is often the case here. But just back to what you were saying about um, how the conversation has changed over time, definitely like 2015, 16 in Canada, it was 
this wasn't really happening very much. Like I remember at our last agency, we were looking to run an influencer marketing campaign and we were asking around and the only options we were getting was for like 60,000 or more. Like it, it was only a game being played by people with massive budgets. And then there were some people that were sort of like dipping their toes in the water in 2017 and like, ah, just trying nibbling, frothing at the edges. And then now in the last year and a half, I'd say, I've really noticed where brands are starting to commit to it. And again, it's for the reason that I, we were talking about earlier, which is just that it takes so many different mm -hmm. boxes and supports your operation in a variety of different ways. So I, I anticipate that it's going to continue growing for sure. And in the United States, it's been blowing up. So that's yeah. a pretty good uh, sign of where it's headed. I love it. Like I, well, obviously, I, so. I didn't think this was possible when I went you know, it wasn't to college. It was when we were in college. Wasn't. That was not a thing. No, absolutely not, not. And granted, that was ten years ago. But there were some so, bloggers at that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, but that was different. totally different. And I'm sure there. Were, I don't know if bloggers got paid back then. I'm not sure. Be we should have there someone was a bit, on yeah, one day. Yeah, because I started a that. blog. I had the unsportsmanlike blog. Your unsportsmanlike blog blog yeah. was really good. But you were getting. Were you getting paid through? It ads? was run through display. Yeah, that was yeah. how it would. You you basically mm -hmm. operate as a publisher, and you'd sign up for these third party platforms that would run ads on your site and it was either um, a CPM model, meaning like a cost per thousand impressions or a CPC. So anytime somebody clicked your ad, then you'd get a kickback on that. Mm -hmm. Or it was a CPA, meaning that if cost per acquisition, so if somebody visited your site, clicked on an ad, then went through and made a purchase, then you would get a percentage of that sale. This is, like, this is hurting my brain. <laughs> Why this sounds way too difficult. Uh, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> but um, I mean, who actually clicks a banner ad and then makes a purchase? I can tell you from personal even, experience that it, now, even then, though, it Honestly, really now when I see happen. a banner ad, I feel like I have a virus. Like yeah, I, I mean, a lot of people have ad blockers too, which is yeah. another reason why working with influencers has been something that's kind of on the upswing because there was millions and millions of dollars going into display for years and years and years and years. And it still is. Um, not to say that there's anything wrong with display, but um, you can't... It's just not the same. It's not it's quite not the same. same. And you can't have a two-way conversation. It's just so much fun. I just I never thought that I could be challenged creatively like I do right now creating content with brands online. It's so different from producing for television. Yeah. Yeah. So I hear a lot of people say, you know, the space is really saturated. Well, isn't every space? I think that if you have a voice and if you have a powerful message and passion behind what you do, you'll stand out. Um, I don't know. The market never lies. That's the beauty, beauty of it all, too. Um, you'll see a lot of people from more traditional forms of media that might kind of disparage certain aspects of the influencer marketing industry because it's like there's no gatekeeper here, right? Like when we were going, exactly. when we were going to journalism school, I desperately would have wanted to be a television broadcaster or reporter or interviewer, but it's not that easy. I worked locally for a while. I worked at Kojiko. I worked at Rogers. But I was not going to get a shot at, uh, at like a major network. It just wasn't going to be in the cards for me. There's a long, long lineup of people that want the exact same opportunity and been waiting longer. So well, you can't get there. But that's well, the beauty of this. Tom, that also, anyone can there's make no their money. Own opportunity. There's no money in broadcast. There's at the very top. But to get there is like the people that are there forever and they're not leaving. I was going to say, like, how many positions are at the yeah, top, right? Yeah. yeah. Like Don Cherry doesn't retire. He's 85. He's 85? Yeah, he's 85. Wow. He yeah. can really rock a suit at 85. <laughs> yeah, all he could in his 
40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, too. That's incredible. Well, this kind of lends itself to branding, which is something that I really want to talk to you about because, obviously, the influence agency has branded itself really, really well in the past two years. You work with a lot of brands. You work with a lot of content creators who have been able to define themselves. What does branding look like in 2019? It feels like everyone has the opportunity to just be their own brand. Yeah, well, I guess the key there is that everybody with a smartphone and Wi-Fi or data has access to a global distribution network in real time. You can communicate with anybody in the world. And so that gives you, that gives everybody unbelievable power. I feel like we totally underestimate the power of the internet and smartphones. Like we take it for granted. Well, I think we forget because, okay, so zombie scrolling is a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you just pick up your phone and you just start scrolling, you're like, what was, what was I on here to do again? Yeah. I do that all the time. Or I'm like, I'll turn on my computer and I actually need to do something, but I end up typing in, oh my God, this is embarrassing. Sometimes I'll end up typing in like TMZ and I'm like, what? I, I didn't even mean to do that. But I go to these sites often. So I just innately yeah. punch it in. It's like subconscious yeah, patterns. So when you pick up your phone, you subconsciously just do whatever you do on the daily. But you, I think it's easy to forget how powerful of a tool it is in the palm of your hand yeah. and how much reach you can have in any given moment. It's instant. The access that you can get, the information that you can deliver, that's powerful stuff. Yeah, for sure. And anyone, if we wanted to tomorrow, can start your own business on the side, just on your phone. Yeah. I wouldn't say that I'm uh, much of a visionary when it comes to branding. What I would say is that I've seen a lot of people that are good at it. And So what do you think the secret sauce is? Well, I think that the first thing is you got to have something interesting to say. Because if you don't have something interesting to say, then why would anyone listen? Why would anybody pay attention? Um, and then even when you do have something interesting to say, then you got to figure out how to package it and what's your best way to do so. So are you really good on video? Are you really good at taking photos? Are you a great writer? Um, do you have resources that will allow you to do all of those things? And if so, what's the best pat platform to to share that across, right? Like do you, you've made your established your brand and your audience on Instagram because mm -hmm. that has proven to be, you know, you take great pictures, you have inspiring messaging and you do great videos as well. So that's a great place for you to be. But that wasn't intentional when I started five years ago. It yeah. just kind of evolved into something else. So do you think that like everyone has a brand? No. We're always working <laughs> at a brand and then... I don't. No. No, our company does. But like, I think it's important to be self-aware. So like, to this point, on a personal level, I haven't felt like I have anything truly compelling or interesting to share. My social feeds are pretty dormant, bland. I use them mostly to stay in touch with some friends and family, but certainly not too much from a business perspective other than on LinkedIn, basically. Mm -hmm. um, but from our business perspective, we're very, very active on Instagram and we've grown it out to like 10,000 people and there's lots of great stories to tell there. And there's a lot of great brands and people that we work with. Um, I think that moving forward, people, um, it's gonna be interesting to see how people look at the word branding. Mm-hmm. Because it's a bit of a hot button type thing, especially maybe, I don't know, I, I'm a big sports fan. So you always hear athletes talking about their brand and sometimes it causes people to sort of roll their eyes a little bit like, uh, what do you mean? Give me an example. Uh, well, 
Okay, so for instance, I really enjoy Marcus Stroman. I think that he's a, he's a great player, and um, I have no problem with anything that he does. But he's super talkative on social media, and he's out there, and some people think he's arrogant. Some people think that he's a little bit too pompous and that, that um, maybe he's spending too much time on social and not enough time on his game. Or Jeannie Bouchard, I don't know if you know her, but Canadian tennis player. Mm-hmm. She went to, I believe, two finals um, of majors. I can't remember which one it was. might have been Australian and Wimbledon. Not exactly sure. But it was a few years back now, maybe 2016, 15. Somebody listening can correct this in the comments if they remember. But um, she's super active on social media, but not so much about her training regimen and not so much about like the nutrition or um, her travel schedule. Not so much about her as a tennis player, but a little bit more so about kind of lifestyle, lots of bikini pics, things of that nature. Right. And you'll see comments in her section that are like, get off the beach, get to the court. What are you doing? Your game is a mess right now. Go figure it out. That kind of stuff. So, um, and then you hear a little bit about social media fatigue or anxiety, which to some extent could be tied to people that are trying to establish brands. I don't know. It can go both ways. I think in some instances when you have clarity of purpose and you know what you want and you know exactly what you are trying to achieve, then that is your brand. Then that just naturally becomes what you're talking about and and what you are all about. Um, People run into trouble, I think, when they're they're working too hard to try to establish it and it feels forced. I agree. I totally agree. I get a lot of people who ask me, how to start a brand where do i begin it's such a like it's it's such a loaded question, question. Like, yeah oh man like you could write a thesis on that you, you totally could and i think people go about it differently obviously there are i'm sure tried tested and true methods and getting one from yeah. the ground up yeah from a business perspective for, for sure. sure and for it's sure. even more tricky though when you're talking about personal brands personal brand yeah. that's the challenging part um because you know you hear about i'm not a big fan of this word but authenticity mm-hmm. hashtag authentic yeah. it's a big one on social media right and of course yeah. authenticity is super important in everything that you do because you want to be honest with whatever you're selling you want to be honest with whatever you're talking about that's what builds trust with people around the world that's how you gain a following a loyal following but when you're building a personal brand there is strategy behind it yeah there would have to be or else it would be it's tough to stumble upon. It happens, it's, but it's, it's tough to not stumble an easy thing upon. To do. It's it's definitely not. So um, my advice is always, don't overthink it, because I think it's easy to do that. And mm. then, well, it's that phrase. What is it? It's analysis breeds paralysis. You yeah. end up overthinking and you end up doing nothing. If a personal brand is something that you really want to work on and you feel that you have some kind of value to offer your community or the world in some way on the internet. Then you got to sit down and, like you said, figure out the right platform to talk about the things that you care about, the, the values that you can add, and just do it. You just do it. It's, it's trial and error. I think people underestimate the amount of work and time and patience required, though, too. So much. We get people reaching out to us that are like, hey, can you help make me an influencer? No. Like, no. no. Get out yeah, of here. People totally. ask you to make them an influencer? Or like... What do you mean? Yeah, it'll be like somebody that has... You know, I don't know. Are these strangers? 250 followers. Yeah. And they're like, I would really love to develop my audience into, you know, 20,000 plus. What services do you offer to help us or to help me do that? And we're like, unfortunately, we don't. <laughs> oh, so they just, they don't understand what you actually do. Well, no, they, 
there's people nowadays, especially some young people that might have friends or relatives or people that they know, look up to, admire, that have developed an audience and are making money from mm -hmm. these branded campaigns and mm -hmm. they want to do it too. Right. So they search for like influencer marketing Toronto and they find us and they're like, hey, can you make me do that too? And it's like, no, no. Well, there's an opportunity there. By the way, if anyone is an <laughs> entrepreneur listening to this, there would be a huge market to help people develop their own oh, yeah. content strategy and yeah. brand and then to execute upon that. People would pay for that for sure. So, I mean, they talk about this in American Meme, the documentary on Netflix. I haven't seen that. Oh my gosh, you need to watch it. It's so interesting. Okay. It's so entertaining too. Um, but American Meme, the Fire Festival documentary. But oh, yeah, I mean, we, we now really do understand that the concept of internet influencer or internet celebrity is now a job description that a lot of people want instead of going to school to become i don't know a therapist or i don't think the intention should be fame and branded partnerships i feel like that's not something that you can hang your hat on forever no if it's probably not sense. sustainable it's not sustainable yeah it's not the right mentality to have that going into it either the mentality me. has to be um, that you feel compelled to share yeah. something, that you have something that is burning in your soul and you need to share it with the world. Do you know that they say that one in two people want to write a book in their life? Do you want to write a book? I would love to. Me too! Two yeah. out of two. That stat is wrong, <laughs> no, but, buddy. <laughs> but everybody wants to write a book. Why do they want to write a book? I would suggest or I would, I don't know, put it to you that that people want something that will remain they want to leave something behind they want mm. to, to they want the world to know i was here they want isn't that the internet though yeah well i think that's why there's a lot of people that are turning to social media now and using it as a platform for this because it's an alternative right. writing a book is damn hard yeah and takes forever and sorry going back to being patient and working really hard to create that following that brand online it's it's it has to be an everyday thing yeah it I really oh, does, does that wear on you it, it's I couldn't a do lot. it for that reason alone. <laughs> I could not. I would quit after like five days. I'm like, oh my God, F this. I'm enough. I, I mean, because I still have fun doing it, which is great because you should always have fun with what you do or else you're just miserable. Just never. It's always lurking over your shoulder. The but next I day, do. The it's, there is this constant pressure of, oh my God, I didn't post anything today because you have to, you have to be relevant. Yeah. People have... Shorter attention spans than goldfish these days. Yeah. So we're at, I think, about six seconds. Six seconds our attention spans are. What? Is that nuts? No, I'm just kidding. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. Um, okay, so our attention spans are really short, and we are constantly bombarded with information, with yeah. advertisements. We're overstimulated. Overstimulated. So you need to stay on people, like, top of mind. And... To do that, you got to post, whether it's on Instagram, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's on Facebook, Pinterest, whatever. Um, so that is a lot of pressure. And I think when you're so in it. So how do you deal with it? I go to therapy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love therapy. Um, so that helps. Um, I met. I started to meditate again, which is super helpful. Hmm. CBD. Oh, yeah? CBD candies are great. Hmm. Um but I don't use them every day. I just pop one in when I'm feeling like overly anxious and it does calm me quite a bit. Did you um, have- I Go for runs. You, there are tons of different strategies, but those are my go-tos. Sounds like you have a, a good handle on that. Did yeah. you do all of those things before you were promoting content or 
producing content for social media regularly? Like five, six, seven, eight years ago? No. No? So uh, six, seven, no, like about eight years ago, I, that's when I discovered meditation. So yes, uh, running, yeah, running I started years ago. CBD, no. CBD is something I discovered in the past year, maybe. Yeah. Therapy, I went for the first time five years ago when I felt like shit just hit the fan. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then I stopped. And then recently, I started going back once a month. That's good. It, honestly, if I could afford it more, I totally would. Everyone should go to therapy. Oh, it's yeah. unbiased opinions. It's I've great. Before, it's great. Yeah. But you know what? I started going back to therapy uh, for a few reasons, one of which... And I'm going to be totally honest. I've been working with a partner, a brand, who it's just been challenging. It's been really challenging. And I feel like I've been giving my all in my deliverables and my content and my storytelling. And um, they've been really, really unhappy with it to the smallest details. The smallest details. Whatever you're allowed to... What can I say without giving it away? (laughs) Because I I just don't want to get in trouble. Um, Give me an example of a detail. Is it like the word used? Yeah, yeah. It's like the word... An edit in a frame or something like this? All of it. Um, But the word used is the word that they initially give me. Hmm. So we'll have, you know, a meeting as to what, you know, they're interested in the message they're interested in promoting and what kind of story I'd like to tell around it, which is great. Um, so they give me the verbiage and then I can use it any which way I want. But when I put that verbiage in my video and my content, it's all edited, all done. It's like, Ooh, we actually don't like that anymore. We're going to use something else, even though that's on your box. It's like, Hmm. what? You need to work into your contracts that there's a limited amount of revisions we or do. something like this. So then, we do. So do you just go the extra mile every time? I do because I'm... Do you have I'm a problem say, with saying no? No. I can say no. Yeah? I can say no. But it's one of those things where I'm so... I'm also so hard on myself and I'm such a type A when it comes to my creations, like my creative work, um, that I'll do what it takes to kind of maybe finesse it and sometimes i take it personally so lately i've been really taking it personally and i've been thinking fuck i suck um it's just because this has been an ongoing thing with them and i'm like it it makes me question like what i'm doing if i should be doing it anymore because i'm such a deep thinker so i had to go back to therapy and talk about it like i feel like nothing i'm doing is up to par is it me should i be doing this Am I wasting my time? That kind of stuff. And what, what did the person say that you met with? My therapist? Yeah. Uh, we haven't gotten that far yet. So I'm hoping... Oh, my next session is tomorrow, okay, actually. So yeah. Stay <laughs> so tuned for podcast number two on that <laughs> exactly. one. Exactly. So, I mean, it's not all fine and dandy. I, like, I, I've mentioned therapy a few times on social media, but it's not just something I talk about all the time. Not because I don't want to. It just I guess it just doesn't come up. Yeah. Yeah. Is but it it's, mostly... It happens. Um, when you feel anxiety, is it mostly related to professional work? Yes, always. Yeah. Always. Isn't that crazy? Well, maybe not. I mean, Do you ever feel anxiety around your work as an entrepreneur? Uh, I mean, I guess to some extent, but I'm, you know me, I'm a pretty even-keeled kind of guy. Yeah, you are. Not, I don't really get... This is actually uh, sometimes a problem, but in a different kind of way. Yeah. So, like, I, my problem is celebrating. So, like, a lot, there's been so many really great things that have happened here and I don't think I've done a good enough job of like celebrating that and celebrating maybe telling people um, 
how good of a job they're doing sometimes. I'm, I'm usually just like not too high, not too low, always in the middle. And, uh, like celebrating your own success or celebrating everyone's team success, success, the success of our teammates and the people. Um, I could definitely stand to improve there just in general. I don't, I'm, I've never been good at celebrating. Like I very rarely ever have a birthday party. Just that's like Karen true. and I haven't got married because neither she's the same way as me. This is yeah. a big part of it. Part of it is just the expense of it all. Yeah. It seems a little cost prohibitive and silly for a family of our size, but, um, we're not big celebrators. You're really not. I was actually kind of surprised when you had that, um, like the the wedding party, not the wedding party, um, the engagement, engagement party. party. Yeah, that was yeah. most mostly to announce that we were going to have a kid. That yeah, was, and it was great. Yeah. But you, I mean, I've known you for ten years. I don't think I, I don't remember your I don't last remember birthday the last time party. I had a party before that. <laughs> oh my god! I know. Well, maybe you're just humble. Uh, but you know what? So. Something needs to be said about being happy for yourself and being proud of your success. Yeah. No, it's all good. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the question of, is there ever any sort of like anxiety from professional work? I think when you're in client work in general, any form of client work, if you take pride in what you do and what you deliver, then if there's ever any issues, then there would be some sense of anxiety around that because you want to, you want to please, you want to make you sure that they're well. happy with it. Yeah. So um, as we grow, there's more and more clients that we're working with and there's more and more people involved in those accounts so there's more variables that come into play there's more that could go right and there's more that could go wrong so if you kind of um spend too much time focusing on things that are out of your control that's when you get into trouble one thing that i've uh you learn so you know i'm like really big into sports my whole life and um have been in, involved in sports my whole life the best athletes coaches general managers owners they only focus on what's in their control. Anything that is outside of their control is just noise that they don't even pay attention to because there's nothing you can do about it. There's literally nothing you can do about it. So that's something that I try to think about if I'm ever feeling a bit like uh, getting a bit uneasy, getting a bit funny, or maybe if the confidence isn't where it should be or needs to be, then I just try to laser focus in on what is in my control and letting go of any thoughts that are outside of my control that are either self-limiting beliefs or are just holding me back from fixing whatever issue there might be perceived or otherwise this is why i come to you with my problems this is exactly <laughs> why because you have such a i guess objective way of looking at things which is really nice and you don't overcomplicate things. Try not to. <laughs> well, Tom, I feel like we can just keep going on this topic because there are so many pieces to this one puzzle. Yeah, but I think totally. this truly is our first episode. This truly is the end of our first episode. It really is. I mean, we covered a lot. I we... want to hear a little bit more about um, meeting with your therapist. Oh, God. That is sacred time. Not anymore. Not anymore. Not with this podcast. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great day.